0: The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals, listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment.
1: Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Dan Buettner, is the founder of Blue Zones, an organization that helps Americans live longer and healthier lives. His groundbreaking work on longevity led to his 2005 National Geographic cover story, Secrets of Living Longer, and two national best-selling books, The Blue Zones and Thrive. Dan Buettner is here today on Health Watch to talk about his latest book, The Blue Zones Solution, A Guide to Smart Eating and Lifestyle Practices, that's based on the habits of communities that have produced the largest number of long-living individuals. Welcome back to Health Watch, Dan Buettner. I'd uh, like to be here. So uh, why don't we just orient our listeners who aren't familiar to your project what you mean by the term Blue Zone?
0: It was a 10-year project with National Geographic that sought to find pockets around the world, populations where people either have the highest life expectancy, they produce the most centenarians, or they produce the lowest rate of chronic disease, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, et cetera. And then, in a sense, we reverse-engineered Longevity. We brought in then a second wave of experts who could tease out using scientific methodology what exactly is going on in these populations that is explaining an extra year, 10 years of life with a fifth rate of chronic disease. And then The Blue Zone Solution is really a book that tries to put it in terms that Americans can actually follow.
1: So when you say you're looking for zones either where people are living over the age of 100 at a higher incidence or a much lower incidence of chronic disease, do those two things correlate well? Do we see typically that where people have a higher percentage of survivors to 100 that they also have lower incidence of chronic disease?
0: Yeah, so there's two types of aging. Uh, The technical term is actually the buildup of cellular and molecular damage over time. And that would be lifting the ceiling of the uh, lifespan of the human species, which right now is defined at 122 years and four months. Uh, science is not even close to being able to do that. But what we can do is avoid the diseases that foreshorten our lives. So on average, Americans are living to about life expectancy is about each 80. Um, but really, if we could... Elude the diseases that we don't need to get, chronic diseases, namely. We should be able to hit about age ninety-two, and these blue zones people are getting close closest to healthy age ninety-two than any place else in the world.
1: And how did you go about sorting out what was causing what when you looked at these different communities? For instance, I mean, you have five blue zones, and some of them are very different culturally, like Okinawa and, and Sardinia. Are eating very different foods. Uh, how did you How did you determine that it was mainly a nutrition issue versus, say, uh, regular steam baths or genetics or some other thing that may not be around the way that they're eating?
0: Well, we start with the with the largely accepted assumption that only about twenty five percent. and This comes from the Danish twin studies. Only about twenty five percent of how long a population lives is dictated by genes. That leaves seventy five percent. Uh, for lifestyle and environment. So so we do put aside that there is a small genetic component. And then um, there are several factors. Blue zone solution really takes aim at food. Uh, I've been studying these populations for 10 years and trying to communicate it to Americans. And uh, we tend to, uh, the runway for a healthy lifestyle, or at least the entrance ramp for most Americans, is through their mouth. So uh, Blue Zone Solution really focuses on the diet, what the longest of people have been doing for the last, what they've been eating for the last hundred years. But to your point, there's seven or eight other facets to longevity um, that come, I think, after you've accepted the notion, yeah, I'm ready to make these small changes uh, if, if living longer and feeling better at every decade is the value proposition.
1: So let's talk about some of the crossovers between the different Blue Zone communities. You have some, one in Greece and one in Italy and one in Japan, I believe one in California. What are some of the things you've learned that you feel like crossover from community to community around diet?
0: Well, first of all, they're all traditionally, on average, worldwide for the last 100 years, uh, about 90% on average of their dietary intake comes from, from plants or plant products very low-processed plant. They eat a very high-carb diet in all blue zones. About 65% of their caloric intake comes from things like whole wheat or oats or sweet potatoes. Uh, The cornerstone of every longevity diet in the world is beans. They're eating about a cup of beans a day uh, as opposed to meat, cheese, or eggs. Uh, They do eat some meat, but only about five times per month on average. So all five of the blue zones, it has traditionally been a very low meat diet. You know, usually reserved for celebratory um, occasions. And when uh, not, you say meat, are you
1: are you including seafood under meat, or is that uh, another category into itself?
0: It's another category. So well, when I say meat, I mean uh, uh, um, terrestrial, like chicken, pork, beef, right. lamb, that sort of thing. Uh, they do eat some seafood, but not as much as you might think. Uh, on average, about three servings a week. Um, uh, the, according to the best data source in the United States, I believe, the Adventist Health Study, which followed 103,000 Adventists for more than 30 years. Um, in America here, the people who come out on top are pescatarian the so people who are vegans uh, and eat up to one serving of fish uh, a day. But re- in reality, that average is more like three or four servings a week.
1: Well, it was interesting to see the differences when you see, like, a population in Okinawa, which I I would guess probably is eating almost no dairy. And then in Sardinia, I think, or Greece, I think they're both eating quite a bit of dairy.
0: And and none of the blue zones are they eating a lot of cow's dairy. They do eat some sheep uh, sheep cheese. You know, up in the highlands there of Sardinia, they were traditionally shepherds. um, And they make a type of cheese called pecorino. And that figured prominently into the diet the first 50 years of the centenarian's life. But metabolically, sheep cheese has a very different effect on the body than cow's cheese. Uh, and also because it's very rich, uh, they tend to eat a lot less of it. So a serving might be the size of an ice cube, not, uh, 10 ounces melted on a pizza. Right. So, um, very, yeah, I think it's not only the, the kind of dairy, but also it's the low quantity that's, that uh, it's important to pay attention to.
1: In case you just tuned in, we're talking today to author Dan Buettner about his latest book, the blue zone solution, eating and living like the world's healthiest people. One of the more fascinating things about the blue zone solution is your exploration of, can we take this information and can we translate it to an American reality in a way that would both be understandable and doable? Um, and you look at you, you. You ask the question: Has it ever been done, or has anybody ever tried to translate this before? And and you start with a community in Finland in the 1970s. Can you can you talk a little bit about the relevance of that community?
0: Sure. So the the cracking the code for longevity, or trying to find the uh, central tenet of what makes people live longest, and it turns out there's no herb. There's no. Single food. There's no special diet. There's no exercise regimen. The reality is, no matter where you go, and people live a long time. Uh, They are just simply products of their environment. So longevity happens to people. And about the time I was having this epiphany, I'd also gotten another grant from National Geographic to look at uh, communities around the world who had bad health and reversed it. And there's only been one, according to the World Health Organization, one successful. Uh, non-infectious disease um, community health uh, project, and that's in North Karelia. And what they did, instead of trying to hound individuals to change their health behaviors, they gave them a little bit of education, but they mostly changed their, their surrounding. So they set up comprehensive and omnipresent nudges and defaults so that eating plant-based was easier. Uh, they were nudged into moving more. Uh, they built healthy social networks. So um, um, essentially made the healthy choice, not only the easy choice, but the unavoidable choice. And that was really the cue which we've uh, since adopted to make Blue Zones here in America.
1: So the idea being less um, telling people that it's about willpower and more about trying to change the environment that people are functioning in in each community.
0: Yeah, willpower and discipline, they're both great ideas, individual responsibility, great ideas. And you can sometimes get people uh, whipped up and enthused, and they'll stick with their discipline and their willpower for a few months or maybe a year. But universally, and there's plenty of data on this, it is a long-term uh, uh, immutable failure. So when it comes to longevity, unless you're setting up an intervention for the long term, uh, you might as well not waste your money. So you can you can change a city and make it more walkable. You can change food policies to favor fruits and vegetables over chips, and fast food. Uh, you can help sh- people shape their, you know, their circle of friends so that their friends' idea of recreation is gardening or walking or playing tennis or eating plant-based. Um, but it's really hard to make them remember a regimen and expect to stick to it for long enough to make a difference.
1: Well, before we start talking about some of the experiments that you've been involved in in the United States to uh, do community-wide change, the National Institute of Health did try some community changes in the U.S. that ended up not being successful. Can you talk about those and and how that those informed your own projects?
0: Yes, in fact, I'm a good friend with the uh, the researcher who launched those. Well, there were six of them in Minnesota, Providence, Stanford. And they had the right idea. This was back in the 1970s. But, again, they, for the most part, tried to get people to change their diet and remember a certain regimen. And in every case, you have kind of the uh, health equivalent of the Hawthorne effect, that while the researchers were paying attention uh, and cameras were rolling, people changed their behaviors. But when the researchers went home, people universally in those went back to their baseline. And... um, the right-minded just, you know, it, it took – you have to be willing to experiment try. And I've, I've had the benefit of learning what didn't work and build on that for, for this new wave of, of um, uh, health, citywide health
1: projects. So, so tell us about the attempt to do a Blue Zone in Minnesota, which I believe was your, your initial project in the U.S.
0: Yeah, so 2009, uh, we went in with uh, kind of a menu, if you will of a bundle of best practices, food policies, and built environment. How do you make your streets so they're built not just for cars but for humans? Um, A whole uh, list of checklists to go into every restaurant, grocery store, school, workplace to make that environment 15 or 20% more healthy, but for the long run, and then individual pledges, we got about 25% of the adult population to signed an individual pledge, which had them going into their kitchens to make permanent changes to their kitchen and deconveniencing their homes and making a new set of friends. And over the course of about 18 months, we were able to lower, so we were able to follow 25% of the population. In that 25% of the population, we brought their life expectancy up by 3, 3.2 years. We helped them shed about 2 tons of weight. Uh, and most tellingly, we saw city workers' health care costs drop by about 40%. And and that is uh, what attracted the national attention that brought us to—now we're in 24 cities around America, including Fort Worth,
1: Texas. Could you talk about some examples of how you have to tailor the program differently based on the locale? Like, is there a big difference between the Minnesota project and the Iowa project or or the Fort Worth project? A useful metaphor is to think about a computer. What doesn't work is showing up with
0: a a set program and expecting a program to work among prairie dwellers and hipsters in L.A. and, you know, cattlemen in in Fort Worth. It's useful to think about an operating system. And our operating system simply says, what are the evidence-based ways to make permanent changes to this environment, to the ecosystem here? And my team has aggregated about 120 of them, and then we come into these towns. We we'll make sure before we start that the city leaderships have all signed a pledge: the mayor, the superintendent of the schools, the head of the chamber of commerce, etc., and um, that they're going to they're going to order off this menu. And you can't come in telling people what to do, especially conservative um, communities. But it turns out that almost all these communities, 70% of the people in them are obese or overweight, and they know that there's a urgent problem that hasn't been addressed. So if you bring them a menu of things that are politically palatable and, and uh, affordable and that we can get done in uh, three to five years, which is our average tenure in these cities, uh, you'd be amazed at how much political will and how much you can get done. Uh, but you can't come in Bloomberg-esque and saying, you're going to do this. You're going to do 16-ounce sodas, whether you right. like it or not. That's always going to fail.
1: But it also seems like it's a, an accumulation of very small gestures becoming a, a large effect, like even something as as seemingly simple as changing what's in the coolers next to the cash register in a gas station convenience store.
0: Exactly. We think not silver bullet. That's what most people think. What's the silver bullet that's going to make the street? We think silver buckshot. So on any given community we work with, we're usually successful in implementing anywhere from 40 to 70 small things that that move a population just a half a percent. But if you have 30 or 40 of them moving in unison, we've been uniformly successful. And This is measured by Gallup, by the way, at uh, lowering obesity rates and smoking rates by double digits. The teens and one one in California actually in the beach cities, we lowered smoking by thirty percent, and that means millions or billions of dollars of savings over time. Um, when you when you're talking a population of several hundred thousand, so it's um, it, it's working and it's it's got the economic rationale for for communities to invest in it.
1: And if people are listening to the show and are interested in. Uh, seeing about having the Blue Zone idea be considered by their city or their town. How do they do that?
0: Well, they can go to BlueZones.com, our our website, and part of the website is dedicated. To what are the longest-lived people doing? And then, if they click on community, we profile these communities that uh, are also really good. When a couple weeks ago, if you go to the Today uh, NBC Nightly News and put in Blue Zone uh, they did a great profile of how we, uh, or blue zoning Fort Worth, Texas, and I think they did a really responsible job, and um, that's a good source as well.
1: Okay, uh, another another really interesting part of the book that I loved was blue zoning the home, and and a lot of the a lot of the commonalities between the different blue zones is they often have less convenient lives, and so one of the things that you suggest is not having a remote control, not having a a garage door opener, not using power tools when you're outside, that all of these things are actually not having all of these things will actually lead to a whole bunch of side benefits.
0: Right. Like anyone taken individually is kind of an eye roller. But when you add them all up, it it gets you moving every 20 minutes or so because of the lack of convenience. Our great-grandparents burnt about five times as many calories in non- Exercise physical activity because they didn't engineer the movement out of their life, like like we have, you know, just kind of accidentally done, over t- unconsciously done over time. Um, you know, we tend to think that the panacea for weight problems is well, we'll, we'll join a gym, but there is no way that we can sit around in our offices in our home for forty or fifty hours a week and then make up for it through half an hour three times a week at a gym. If you look at the physical activity patterns in these blue zones, these healthiest people, they're nudged into movement every 20 minutes. So they're, they're jumpstarting their metabolisms out of that hibernative state, uh, every 20 minutes by, they all have gardens. So one time every day they're out watering or weeding or hoeing there. Every time they go to a friend's house or go out to eat or go to work at occasions of walk, um, they, they, are, they're kneading bread by hand. they're, in their yard, but they're using some hand tool rather than a, the motorized tool. So I'd be taking a hard look at our day to day activities and say, well, what can we, how can we engineer that physical activity back into our lives? So, um, you know, a garage door, people typically go in their garage door twice a day. Um, get out of your car and actually have to pick it up. I actually think what the, the, the best thing we could all do is learn how to get to work or to our places that we go via public transportation. Um, interesting study that shows that people who take the bus work, to work uh, walk 19 minutes every day. So that means, you know, they're going from the house to the bus and then the bus to the work, and then they do it at the end of the day, and have about 11% lower rate of heart disease. Uh, now, that's a very, that's a perfect example of engineering physical activity in your life. Trying to make it so your kids are walking to school uh, we do this kind of false calculation that well, if I let my kid walk to school, he might get snatched, but only hundred and eleven kids at u s y get snatched a year, yet two hundred and fifty thousand of them are hurt or killed in automobile accidents so uh, and and forty percent of them are running the risk of obesity, so it's a lot more dangerous to you know pack them up in the car than uh to let them do as we did, which is strike off on their own and walk to school.
1: And then there's some other interesting uh, facts you've learned in the in the dietary section. You, you mentioned earlier in the show that these communities are eating far less meat than, than the typical American community and all, far more beans and I believe far more nuts and plant-based foods in general. But you also noticed that a correlation with coffee and wine intake as being beneficial for longevity. Exactly.
0: Especially coffee, by the way, if you're not – If you're not putting a bunch of cream and sugar in your coffee, coffee is a net positive uh, as long as it's not interfering with your sleep. You know, most of the time they're no longer drinking it after about 3 in the afternoon. But it's a great source of of, uh, antioxidants. People don't realize that. It's also associated with lower rates of diabetes and Parkinson's. So black coffee, uh, teas, um, six glasses of water a day, and a couple glasses of wine. Uh, you're 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 doing the right thing. You're stacking the deck in favor of longevity. If you can, if that, those are the fluids you're drinking. Soda pops are almost completely unknown to people who are making it to hundred. And um,
1: can you talk yeah. about the what you call the rise and fall of Okinawa in, in relationship to the change in their diet, and then the way the different health parameters have changed as a result?
0: Well, it's not just Okinawa; it's, it's actually all the blue zones. And it's, it, as the American food culture washes in, uh, these dietary patterns that have uh, incrementally innovated over the centuries or millennia are starting to disappear in the wake of, you know, fast foods. Uh, Okinawa was particularly prone to it because the American food base is, has uh, sat in the middle of the island since the 19. 19- uh forties and it keep, it keep very vibrant what's popped up around them are the a w root beer and the pizzas and burger joints and and um you know they for the face of it, they're great marketers and you know when you're used to a uh a uh, diet that has low density foods they're tasty, but they're not the napalm of flavor that you get when you put a bunch of fat sugar and people taste them and you know it's like it's like taking a hit of, a, a dietary hit a crack you know it's delicious and then of course they start going back and and now in in Okinawa people over 70 are the longest lived people in the world but people under about 65 they actually have the worst health of anybody else in all 42 of Jap- Japan's prefectures so wow we try to capture a moment in time we captured a population Um, that uh, lived for 100 years, basically between 1905 or 1900 and 2005. And we we studied that cohort. So we saw what did they do that we know, and we use demographers. This is National Geographic. It's very carefully done. What have they done to reach 100? And even though it's washing away, it's washing away because they're losing the habits that got them to where they were. They're losing the environment. That got them to where they were,
1: you also briefly touch on the uh science around intermittent fasting and longevity is is fasting something that you've seen across communities in the blue zones also
0: yes so um uh, the the uh well the adventists they uh they eat a biblical diet, which means if if you're a true adventist, you're not eating meat and you're not eating uh fish without scales ever uh in um uh I- 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 the Greek Orthodox, they're doing some sort of fast almost every other day, about half the days of the year, cutting out things like eggs and dairy products, meat some days, varies from place to place. So um, yeah, then uh Okinawa and, and uh uh Nicoya the- 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 Costa Rica, they had forced famine. They had periods of time, years at a time when they were effectively caloric restricted. So, again, uh, what I do is I say, here's what the longest-lived people have done for the past century. Here's the health that it yielded. And the Blue Zone solution just tries to sum it up and let people draw their own conclusions. I, I like to stay away from telling people what to do, but I'll tell you what. There's um, a very compelling um, trend here that you see among people who have achieved the health outcomes that we'd like.
1: And your section in the in the book of recipes is a sort of bridge where I, I think people can take some of these ideas and translate them into actual meals here in America.
0: So what we try to do is identify the 50 or so foods that are most uh, ubiquitous in blue zones that we see and also have a credible health claim to them, like tofu and sweet potatoes and nuts and beans, et cetera. And then we hired really great American chefs to take those ingredients and Americanize them. Make sure they taste good. Because if I told you that broccoli will guarantee, if you eat three servings of broccoli a day, you'll live an extra 10 years, but you hate broccoli, you're probably not going to eat broccoli long enough to make a difference. So if we can take these blue zones, these superfoods, so to speak, and make them taste good, and you can afford it, in your kitchen set up the right way so they're easy to make, you actually like it, Can you like it. Now, there's there's a system that can work for for long enough to to make a little difference in your life.
1: Well, it's great having you back on Health Watch today, Dan. Could you mention the uh, the website one more time for our listeners?
0: Yes, the book is Blue Zone Solution, and the website is bluezones.com, dot com. And you can um, uh, we're Facebook at Blue, at Blue, uh, Blue Zones and uh, Twitter at Blue Zones as well. And we have a very active social network, and we'd love for you to join.
1: Great! Thanks again for being on Health Watch today, Dan. Uh,
0: it was a blast.
1: <laughs> <I> live long. <laughs> you too. Fine. We've been talking today to the author Dan Buettner about his latest book, The Blue Zone Solution: Eating and Living Life, Eating and Living Like the World's Healthiest People. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.